0: And a fall high school sports preview. But first, 19-year-old Rachel Rinda, a college student from Montgomery in south-central Minnesota, is the State Fair's 69th Princess K of the Milky Way. I had an opportunity to chat with her on the fairgrounds this week. What do you love about Montgomery that you want listeners to know about?
1: Montgomery has an amazing Czech heritage. Um, Actually, in 2020, I was named the Kalachki Days Queen, which is our town celebration. So our roots run deep in our Czech heritage and also our love for agriculture.
0: You're on a break right now from being carved in butter.
1: Yes, yes, a little bit break.
0: (laughs) You're one of the lucky few that gets that privilege. Tell me what that is like to be sitting in there and uh, (laughs) <laughs> posing for carving like that.
1: It's just an unbelievable experience. I've dreamed of becoming a finalist since I was a little girl. It's, it's every dairy girl's dream, and so being able to sit there as Princess Kay and get my head carved in butter is just an extreme honor.
0: Tell me a little bit about what you do as Princess K moving forward once the fair is done.
1: Yep, so as Princess K, my duties are um, advocating for the dairy industry as their goodwill ambassador and so I'll be going to school visits, breakfast on the farm, uh, really anything in between advocating for Minnesota dairy farmers and our products.
0: Very good and I don't know if it's fair for you to say or not, but what is your favorite fair food?
1: Oh, it is definitely ice cream. I have always celebrated any accomplishment with ice cream, so I'm excited to get my fill of ice cream throughout the fair. Well I think they crowned the right person
0: then. <laughs> sure. Again, that's this year's Princess K of the Milky Way, Rachel Rinda from Montgomery, Minnesota. <laughs> Switching gears now, in election years like this one, the Minnesota State Fair is usually the official starting gun for final push to November in 2022's again full-strength Great Minnesota Get-Together is no exception. Bill Werner has a report.
2: Scott, Republican candidate for Governor Scott Jensen fueled an uproar when he stood by comments he made earlier this year at an anti-mask rally, again this week comparing COVID regulations to the rise of Nazi Germany. Jensen released a video as that controversy heated up.
3: Hubbub that's been in the media lately about whether or not I was insensitive in regards to the Holocaust. I don't believe I was. I was making a comparison between the incremental change that frequently occurs and is oftentimes missed by people living through it at the time, it's oftentimes incremental change designed by government to effect sweeping societal changes, frequently centering on compliance and control. So when I make a comparison that says that I saw government policies intruding on American freedoms incrementally, one piece at a time, and compare that to what happened in the 1930s, I think it's a legitimate comparison. It may not strike your fancy, that's fine, but this is how I think. And you don't get to be my thought police person. It
4: really demeans and reduces how horrific the actual events that happened in Nazi Germany were by comparing it to masking and and measures that were taken during the pandemic to keep people safe.
2: Marissa Luna with the Alliance for a Better Minnesota. Beth Gendler with Jewish Community Action says...
4: I am the, the child of a Holocaust survivor, and I can see absolutely no rational reason to compare measures that were recommended, sometimes required in order to save lives as in any way comparable to what my family experienced um, that ultimately ended in in the state taking their lives. Um, it is it is simply incomparable, incomprehensible and and horribly offensive and hurtful.
2: As the controversy grabbed international attention, Jensen on Tuesday night, in a recording circulated by the Walls campaign, told the Republican-Jewish coalition. I don't care if we're
3: talking about 1930s or if we're talking about right now, but this is about compliance and control and fear-mongering and hate-mongering. What's happened over the last two and a half years has parallels to what happened with the 1933 banning of Brooks. Banning of Jewish authors. Burning of books. Kristallnacht in
2: 1938. The governor's campaign manager says Jensen's refusal to apologize for his remarks is as outrageous as it is unsurprising, and says his decision to triple down on these remarks is appalling. Jewish Community Action's Gendler said,
4: Jewish Minnesotans are Minnesotans. We are not some political... Thing to be manipulated for one candidate or another.
2: As GOP candidate Jensen took heed for comparing COVID restrictions to Nazi Germany, he continued hammering Governor Tim Walz for not agreeing to debate him at the Minnesota State Fair in full swing this weekend in Falcon Heights.
3: If he stays hidden in the basement and lets his money do the work... Maybe he thinks that's the safest path, because if he's on stage with me, it's probably a situation he can't
2: control. A Walls campaign spokesman said the governor cannot take part in all debates because of the sheer quantity of invitations. Jensen did say earlier in response to this question by M&N, the governor says, no, he never said that he was going to be there, so therefore he's not backing out. What do you say to that? To
5: be fair to Governor Walls, he never looked me in the eye and told me I will be at the state fair. He did say when I briefly talked with them casually at the farm fest that there would be more debates. So I think you can make a point that in terms of the precise language, I I guess I understand that yeah, Tim Walls never said that he would be at the state fair and I'll give him that. But he did say there'd be more debates
2: and the Jensen campaign says Walls told another media outlet that he would participate in their state fair debate and backed out. The Walls campaign says they never withdrew because no debates were ever publicly or privately agreed to, but the spokesman did say, quote, the governor has been clear publicly that there will be more debates. Jensen says he hopes they are not in late fall when many Minnesotans will have already voted early.
5: If Governor Walls is trying to play a game with Minnesotans and say, well, I'll just... I'll wait and put the debate off until we've got at least 35, 45, 55 percent of Minnesotans already voted. I hope that Minnesotans don't feel that that's okay.
2: Walls backers point out there's already been a major debate at FarmFest, well ahead of early voting. Pro-life advocates this week blasted Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison for issuing a consumer alert on crisis pregnancy centers. Ellison says many claim to offer comprehensive health care.
6: But all they're there to do is to try to convince you to carry the pregnancy to term. Now, that might be what the woman wants to do, but that may not be what they want to do.
2: Paul Stark with Minnesota Citizens Concern for Life responds, crisis pregnancy centers provide practical assistance and support for women in need plus alternatives to abortion. And yet the Attorney General, Keith Ellison, is trying to warn people away from them. The Attorney General is effectively acting like an advocate for the abortion industry.
6: This is not at all true. I'm an advocate for truthful, accurate, medically sound information.
0: That's all. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
7: Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. That's right. We live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota.
6: Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second, I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire.
3: Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Scott Peterson. Mille Lacs walleye anglers will see relaxed harvest slot for walleye fishing beginning Thursday. Tasha Radel has more.
8: Mille Lacs covers 207 square miles and is Minnesota's second largest inland lake. It's located in the counties of Mille Lacs, Aitken, and Crow Wing, roughly 75 miles north of the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. Malax Lacs is best known for its phenomenal walleye catch rate, but also offers several other trophy fishing opportunities. Joining me today is the DNR's Brian Nurbon. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming walleye harvest changes?
7: Sure. So every year, uh, DNR sets uh, fishing regulations for the lake based on number of pounds the state is able to harvest out of the lake um, once we have our um, safe harvest level for the year set based on conversations with uh, the Ojibwe band that we share management of the lake with. Um, so this year uh, we set some regulations and started a year that we thought you know had a you know a, a reasonable compromise between opportunity while at the same time uh, keeping the state within its share of the harvest. Um, however the the fishing has been um, a lot slower on Lake Mille Lacs than we had planned on for this year Um, There's a pretty big year class of yellow perch out there in the lake right now. And those yellow perch are, uh, you know, keeping the walleye kind of full and not so hungry. And so they're not quite as willing to bite on the baits that anglers are trying to get them to bite on. Uh, So as a result, the state's been harvesting uh, a lot fewer fish this year than we had anticipated. And so that creates an opportunity for us to relax the slot limit in the fall and create a little bit more opportunity for people to harvest some fish.
8: So Brian, what are some of the, I guess, biggest changes anglers can expect?
7: Uh, well, you know, the the plan had been to have um, the harvest slot limit be 21 to 23 inches or over 28 inches that people could harvest those walleye. Um, and we're going to relax that to um, harvest, people can harvest between 28 inches and 23 inches or over 26 inches. And that doesn't sound like a big change especially the one inch of movement in the 20 to 23 as opposed to 21 to 23. Um, But it's actually a significant number of fish that become available with that change. Um, The reason the way we set those slot limits is we're we're trying to balance um, having the slot limits encompass you know the opportunity for fish to be harvested but at the same time, we can't necessarily put those slot limits right in the center of the most abundant uh, sizes of fish in the lake because if we did, then uh people would end up probably harvesting enough fish that we would end up having to close the fishery early and so uh we set that set that limit at the start of the year at a place where there was you know decent numbers of fish to harvest but not um as much of the peak of the sizes of fish that are currently in the lake. Um, but by moving that one inch down closer to 20 inches, um, there's a there's a really big um year class of fish out there that hatched in 2013 and that comprises the bulk of the fish that are in the lake right now. And by moving to 20 inches we we bring in a bunch of those um 2013 fish uh so that it actually ends up being between the, the two changes we're making in the size um, about 50% more walleye become available to harvest than it would have been available uh, on the 21 to 23 inch with one over 28 size limit. So yep. it's, yeah. it sounds like a small change, but it provides a fair amount more opportunity. Um, so when anglers get up there, um, you know, the the fishing isn't likely to um, be as, as um, high a catch rates as maybe people saw in 2018 and 2019 when the fishing was really hot. Um, the, your class of perch that hatched in 2020 is why we're seeing lower catch rates right now there's just a lot more food out there in the in the lake right now and so um that's going to result in probably not quite as fast of a uh, bite as some some years maybe people have experienced on Malax but there's pretty good numbers of fish out there and so if people can find them and find some that are that are hungry they'll they'll probably be able to chance to catch a fish and, and might have a higher chance right now of, of having one of those be a keeper the other difference that happens this fall is um We've um, been starting to expand the opportunity for people to fish um, after dark. Uh, so previously um, on Mille Lacs, you'd have to stop fishing at 10 o'clock uh, during the summertime. And uh, there's been a long tradition on Mille Lacs of people liking in the fall to do some trolling at night, especially during the full moon. And uh, we heard from anglers during our management plan process that we finished about a year ago that um, they really wanted to see that opportunity come back a little bit more. And so we started last year to relax the, um, the opportunity to fish after dark um, so people can fish till midnight. Um, this year that'll start on September 1st, same time we change the slot limits. So people have a little bit longer period of time to fish if they want to as well.
8: And before we wrap up today, also keep in mind regulations for all other species remain unchanged. While the regulations for the winter season, which begins Thursday, December 1st, will be announced in November. For more information, you can head to the DNR's website. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A soon-to-be sixth grader is leading the effort to bring a skate park to the north-central Minnesota city of Nevis. The young man is working with the city, state, and a foundation as he raises money for the major project. Brent Palm spoke with the mother of 11-year-old Liam Gustafson about his skate park dream. Heidi Gustafson,
9: first off, tell us a little bit about how your 11-year-old son Liam came up with the idea to build a skate park in Nevis.
4: Kicked off pretty much this time last year. His birthday is September 6th, and we took him to. He, he's been loving going to the skate park, so we, we took him to Bemidji for his birthday party. and He was there with all his friends, and he said he wished on his birthday cake that he could have a skate park in Nevis because he didn't. So, Bemidji's about an hour drive from us, um, and he's like, I don't want to have to drive an hour each way to go to the skate park with my friends. He's like, I want to build one in Nevis, and I was like, Well, if that's what you want, you have to do the work and you have to first write a letter to city council and see if they'll even approve a spot and um, everything we've told him he has to do, he's done. He's just checked all the boxes and continued to advocate. And now we're in the, yeah, we got city council approval and now we're in the fundraising mode to just have to raise a lot of money to build it.
9: (laughs) Wow. So the city council approved it. I saw in your (laughs) email that he even testified via uh, zoom to a state senate committee um how did how did all that go and he's even started a facebook page
4: yes yep um yeah the the house capital investment committee that was um a bill hearing for skate parks um to try to get a big grant a big state grant going to build more skate parks in the state of minnesota and i have a friend who just happened to be a uh a state representative and she reached out to me because she saw all my posts on Facebook of Liam at the skate park and all the work he'd been doing with city council and she's like she asked if Liam would testify on her behalf for her bill hearing and so she yeah she roped that all up and he did great it was on zoom which was probably a good thing because he was very nervous and I think if he was in front of all those men in suits he would have been quite intimidated but he just kind of read the letter he wrote to city council and answered some of their questions. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool. She, Jamie becker was the state representative and she sent me a message afterwards saying in a, on a day of dudes in suits, it really pays to hear from a, a cool kid or something like
10: that.
9: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, so is there maybe hope that there could be a state grant or there could be some state funding? Is that maybe a goal?
4: That's, yeah, that's the hope. Um, it's in process. I, I know they were hoping to get it pushed through by the end of this year. So I just keep checking and I keep hoping and, um, cause yeah, if that went through, that would obviously help immensely with the fundraising.
9: So I did look at your Facebook page and I noticed it looks like there's been bake sales and there has been sweet, yeah. sweet sales and, um, apparently a lot of notes and support from several different states. And so the the momentum sounds like it's building.
4: It feels like that. Yeah. He um, had a reporter from the Park Rapids Enterprise interview him after the city council posted their meeting minutes way back in March. Um, And then so she kind of helped get a little word out. She did an article in the paper and then she did another one a few weeks ago um and trying to help build up some um yeah just some excitement for the bake sale because his little friends all want to help him it's so cute all these little fifth and sixth graders are so excited because they want the skate park so badly so they're trying to help in any way they can so he has a lot of community support it's been wonderful
9: okay so like you said he's not the only one hoping that nevis gets a skate park
4: correct yep he's just kind of the been the the one to get it started, and the one being willing to go to the meetings and um, do the work. But yeah, his friends all want to help, so it's it's been great.
9: At two hundred and seventy-five thousand, you mentioned Bemidji has a pretty nice skate park. This would be a pretty nice facility.
4: We're yeah, so we're aiming high because we would love to. We want the concrete bowls that could be built into the ground, just because it is a it's a higher. Um, it's more cost up front but then the maintenance is basically it's zero minimal to zero maintenance it would basically last forever without having to need to replace you know much of anything so we're aiming big cuz that's that's the goal it would it's the the skateboarders and the scooters and the bikers they all like it better it holds up better it's just um the way to go so that's that's our goal and if we have to scale back we will but we're we're aiming high <laughs>
9: Being led by an eleven year old kid makes it even kind of more attractive.
4: <laughs> right. It does tend to get some more people uh, ooing and awing a little bit. like, oh, that's I think it's I've heard a couple of people say, "Oh, it gives me such hope for our next generation, that, you know, people are still go-getters and still want to do better in the world. so
9: <laughs> sounds like a great a great project. is Is he hopeful? Does he talk about it all the time? How pumped up is he?
4: He, yeah he talks about it all the time. He was yeah he's always asking he's checking the mailbox every day to see if any donations came in, and he's um always asking if anybody made any comments on the Facebook page and he's trying to come up with he also has his own YouTube channel, so he tries to post things on there like how to fix his scooter and do different things, you know, not always being at the skate park, but things that you can do you know when there isn't a skate park to get ready for it. <laughs> so.
9: If it is billed, it will be called the Wild Tiger State Skate Park? Is that kind of the goal?
4: That's the goal, yeah. Um, We're waiting for City Council approval to just approve the name itself, Um, but that was the name his fifth grade class voted on. He brought a few names to them at the end of last school year and let his class vote, and that one was unanimous. Everybody wanted the Wild Tiger Skate Park. Um, It's kind of a spin, the Nevis Tigers, that's our mascot for the school, so it was kind of a spin off of that.
9: Thanks to Heidi Gustafson for joining us this week on Minnesota Matters. You can learn more about the project on the Wild Tiger Skatepark's Facebook page.
0: Thank you, Brent. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this.
6: So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time yes yes please
9: yes please
6: exactly always say please thank you you're welcome and excuse me sit up straight hold doors open for ladies if a door shut then knock first don't burp don't swear don't speak with a mouthful don't reach across people's plates keep your elbows off the table what and don't interrupt while we're at it don't stare don't use foul language don't call people names but do remember people's names always share your toys play nice and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze on the bus give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing bottom line treat others the way you'd like to be treated got it
1: got it
6: and stop picking your nose
2: Post parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2Men2X.org. That's 2Men2X.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives in the Ag Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The high school sports season is approaching quickly in Minnesota. Minnesota State High School League media specialist John Malay joins MN M&M Sports director Mike Grimm.
6: Athletic season, school year is upon us. It's uh, starting to uh, ramp up here, huh? Summer's
10: over, Mike. We yeah. got high school sports and the state fair, and and let's go.
6: Let's go. Uh, is it how busy is going to get for you now?
10: You know, the fall is so much fun because there's so much going on. The weather, well, the weather has been fantastic right now for these first early weeks of practice for all these teams in different sports. And, yeah, I'll start putting on the miles. I know I'll be in Wadena. I know I'll be at Leroy Ostrander. I've already been to... To uh, Royalton, uh, I might be heading to Marshall here. Yeah, it's a big state, Man. and I, I, it's it's much easier to do before <laughs> winter rolls in. I'll tell you that you're running around in the uh, what, what's the name of the
6: car? The the John's Journal Toyota Camry. John's Journal, right? And uh, <laughs> we can see that you you have Twitter account. You yep. you can find it on the web page, a Facebook yep. page of the stately High School. MSHSL
10: group. John yeah. on Twitter. There's an MSHSL Facebook page. And if you go to our website, mshsl.org, and scroll down, you'll you'll see John's Journal, and yeah. that's where the stories I write appear. You're going to be riding a bus here in the next couple I'm of weeks? I'm going to be on a bus. I'm going to go to Leroy Ostrander for their first football game. They're the defending nine-man state champions. I saw their last three games last season, the last two at U.S. Bank Stadium, a great small-town story. So they're going to open the season at... Southland High School in Adams, which isn't a long ways away. This Mm -hmm. is down on the Iowa border, south of Rochester. So, I'm going to, on game day, I'm going to get there in time to watch film with the team after school. The coaches have a tradition. They go to like the diner in Leroy for dinner. I'm going to join the coaches for that. Then we're going to head back to school, get on the bus, and go play football. So, I'm looking forward to kind of just kind of that inside look at a high school football team that. Is very small, yeah. but very good.
6: And it doesn't. I mean, those stories don't. I mean, there's stories, millions of stories, yeah. right? It's fun to get to pick one and tell. That's it, it, right? That's
10: it. And and I always at this time of year, I always go back to last fall, and I'll I'll I do. This is a summer project. I look at what happened last fall. Who would be a good story? Another one. The volleyball team at Sock Center. They're a defending state champ. Kind of came out of nowhere. They weren't highly ranked. I don't even know if they were ranked much of the year. Had a great record, but it was one of these no respect stories and they come away as state champion.
6: Uh, uh, An issue that everyone's dealing with, all the administrators and the associations that hire officials, football especially, a shortage of officials.
10: Yeah, football. We're going to see it in football because that's a high profile sport, but it's in every high school sport, basically across the country, shortage of officials. And it's not just varsity officials. In a lot of ways, it impacts lower levels more because we're going to have football games played on Thursdays and Saturdays. That's have been happening the last couple of years. But some of these ninth grade teams, JV games, coaches may have to officiate those games because if you can't get people who want to do it and it's an issue and, and I think there's probably two, two solutions. One is to don't abuse the officials. We don't want, especially the young ones. We don't want to chase them off. And if they're, I, I don't have the magic bullet, but if there's a way to pay them more, that would that would certainly help. And it's interesting. I've learned over the years that when the economy is bad, more people want to be officials to make extra money. And we're not seeing that right now. That's one way I judge the economy. We're not having people coming out to to, uh, do this because of the money. So it's 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 an issue, but it's an it's a national concern.
6: Basketball is a few months away yet, but the shot clock is uh, going to—we'll at least see it in certain areas it, of the state.
10: It's coming for, this, for the upcoming boys' and girls' basketball season. If uh, teams want to use shot clocks for their conference games and everybody in the conference has them, they can do that. We, they won't be used in postseason yeah. sections, state tournaments— but the following basketball season, the 23-24, mandatory for every varsity board, game. Including so tournaments and everything. Everything, all the way through from day one. There will be shot clocks for varsity basketball, boys and girls, all classes. 35 seconds? 35 seconds.
6: Very good. Well, hey, uh, it will be fun. Uh, enjoy the bus ride, uh, and we always enjoy uh,
0: following John's Journal. Grimmer, you're the best. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. That's MSHL Media Specialist John Millay and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.